Look at these three words written larger than the rest, with a special pride never written before or since. Tall words proudly saying, we the people. Welcome to the Lax Facts Institute podcast. I'm your host, David Truschel, the lead writer for the Lax Facts Institute. And I'm your co-host, Alexander Haberbush, president of the Lex Rex Institute and a constitutional attorney, though I will not be speaking in that capacity on this podcast. Yep. Before we begin, please note that nothing in this podcast constitutes legal advice, and any opinions you hear are our opinions, not necessarily the opinions of the Lex Rex Institute. Ours meaning Alex's and David's. Correct. The Lexrex Institute is a nonprofit constitutional advocacy organization. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about us, you can visit our website and make a donation online at www.lexrex.org. That's L-E-X-R-E-X.org. And just one final thing, please remember this is a legal issues podcast, not a political issues podcast. So we will be focusing on the legal aspects of the topics under discussion. That's right. You sound apologies a little bit under ad- the weather, David. You, yeah, okay? apologies apologies in advance to the, to the listeners. I have been a bit sick the last few days. I will try not to cough or sniff horribly into the microphone as much as possible. Did you so catch COVID-19? Means, well, I, I did previously as eagle-eared listeners. That's not really a thing, um, eagle-eared. You know, <laughs> well, whatever. probably sharp. a pretty good hearing. I think. Yeah, <laughs> but that's not the expression. Bats have um, good hearing. You know, they can echolocate yeah, and whatnot, well, maybe. Bad sharp-eared hearing. Yeah. Sharp-eared listeners will remember that I did have COVID a few months ago. I don't think I have COVID again. I think it's just a cold. But if you hear some sort of odd, conspicuous silences, that means I'm probably muting my microphone so you don't have to hear my horrible sounds. It's, it's probably, it probably takes a while for your body to get acclimated to the, uh, the absence of freedom over there, I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, that's definitely what it is. You know, it's been real downhill since uh, William Wallace. Um, that was pe- <laughs> peak freedom for Scotland. Yeah, and then he turned out to be a horrible anti-Semite. And, <laughs> you know, I think you, I think left you those may horrible be, voicemails. <laughs> I think you may be confusing uh, the actor with the role there, but um, oh. that's 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 beside the point. <laughs> anyway, we're gonna get into things, and you know, on your own head, be it. But you made us adopt a, a segment about etymology <laughs> you you uh, meaning the audience that's we had a poll on this and the almost unanimously the audience said they wanted an etymology section of this podcast i think david I was the only no vote on that you know there there i was not the only no vote i was outvoted i think it was right. i think it was more like two-thirds one-third than nearly unanimous but that's really beside the point so so if you don't like this section you have only yourselves to blame that's right. And I, I have really very few ideas about how a segment about etymology would go. I selected a word for us to talk about. Yeah, I think that's, that's how you do it. You talk about the etymology. Of, I, actually, I, I've got a surprise one. It's not on our podcast script. Oh, okay. Um. So uh, a few months ago, I heard a lawyer use the phrase alligator, just sort of without really thinking, referring to somebody making allegations, you know, the alligator. Sure. Yeah. I thought that was very, very funny because an alligator is, of course, also a huge monstrous lizard creature that, that lives in the southeastern United States. Uh, so I thought it was funny to refer to somebody who makes allegations as an alligator. And I started telling people this until eventually I was with, I was at uh, one group and one of the guys there, he actually looked it up and he said, no, alligator actually is a word meaning somebody who makes allegations and it actually predates the animal. You know where the name of the animal comes from? I feel like at one point I knew this for some reason, but I could be completely confused or maybe thinking about crocodiles or something. Well, that's I don't a very different word. If I, so. if, I ever, if I ever did know. If I ever did know, I have at this point completely forgotten. So crocodiles are, of course, named after the, the footwear crocs. But anyway, alligators <laughs> come yeah, from... That's, that's so right. the, the, Spanish, the Spanish word for lizard is lagarto. And when the Spanish, of oh, course, who were the first mm-hmm. to that part of the, the New World, saw these, what they thought were giant lizards, they referred to them as the lizard, or yeah. el lagarto. Yeah. Well, the English, being the English, heard that and turned it into a Hobson Jobson. Which, which is, we'll talk you know, about that in a alligator. second. Alligator. So it's, uh, you know, and you can just think of the Cockney guy saying this, right? Alligator. He's like, what they call, what they call that thing over there? Oh, it's an Alligator. Yeah, um, I'm trying the, to say El Lagarto, the, the lizard. So, so alligator is just the lizard in Spanish, pronounced incorrectly by English sailors. 
Yeah. You mentioned the phrase Hobson Jobson a second ago. And, I uh, did. For those of you who aren't familiar with that, Hobson Jobson is a word that comes about or a phrase that comes about by someone who speaks a foreign language trying to imitate a sound they heard in a different language. Now, again, like, this has like to do with... Like allegato being the... Right, that was right. horrible. That's not an Italian. But <laughs> being pronounced as alligator. <laughs> right. And, you know, no mistake, you know, th- this is a particularly English phenomenon, both because they had a worldwide empire and because being an island nation and uh, a bit xenophobic, traditionally speaking, um, they are not the best at learning foreign languages. Now, by you know, George Orwell famously said that the entirety of the English working class considers it effeminate to pronounce a foreign word correctly. <laughs> And yes. I think that he was largely correct in that. Yeah. So the, the specific phrase Hobson Jobson allegedly is a result of Englishmen in India trying to interpret a phrase that they heard in a religious ceremony that... Uh, Oi, what that bloke over there just said? <laughs> oh, you said Hobson Jobson. <laughs> right. And, and allegedly what the, the original phrase was, in fact, was Yahasan, Yahusain. And somehow that got converted into Hobson Jobson. Um, that's, that's the way the English sailors heard it, you know, in their English tongue. Yahasan, you know, Yahasan uh, becomes Hobson Jobson. <laughs> yeah, David, you've I think you've watched movies with me before. Certainly, Alex, who's been on a couple of our Ask an Attorney segments, other friends that I have that are not involved in Lex Rex, uh, have have watched movies with me, and I often mishear what people say in those movies. Well, yep. apparently that, that may be part of our, our training in the English legal tradition, right? <laughs> is that you can't understand a foreign word properly. <laughs> well, I can't remember what the actual name of the character is, but we were once watching a very bad movie that I don't recommend at all. I believe it's called Beowulf 2000. Um, <laughs> that was a terrible movie. <laughs> yeah, and there was, there was basically only one female character in the whole movie, and for the longest Not, time... Uh, Grendel's mother? No. Uh, <laughs> I no, think, Grendel's I think mother she, wasn't in the movie. <laughs> I don't think she was. Uh, it was, the, I think it was she the king's was, daughter for some reason, yeah, right? I th- yeah, I think she was just sort of, yeah, the, the, the love interest. But we could not make out for the longest time what anyone was calling her. I don't remember what her name was. It turned out to be something sort salad, of normal. Right? Salad. <laughs> we, for the longest time, we thought everyone was calling her Salad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's not really etymology. That's just sort no, of... No, that's just... But, we don't you know. fall too far from our English roots. Anyway, <laughs> the word that we actually planned to dissect today yeah. is the word contract. A good legal term there, certainly more legal than alligator, at least right. in the the animal, you know, the reptilian uh-huh. form of alligator as opposed to one who makes allegations. So, David, what's the origin of contract? Well, it will probably not surprise anyone to know that it is from Latin. Ultimately, from Latin, at any rate, uh, probably no, really? derived from French. But the root parts are con, which means together. You know, if, if anyone's taken Spanish or Italian, Constitution. You'll, you'll recognize that. That too, yeah, standing together. Congregation. Yep. Um, Congress. <laughs> yeah, you could name a lot of these, but. Continent. You know, I guess that's true, probably. Um, Constabulary. Constable. I'm not sure those are, are uh, exactly the same. Um, Cone. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, that's probably enough of that. Anyway, so that's, that's the prefix. And then the, the main part of the root, though, is the verb trahere, which means to draw or to pull. So the idea is you're pulling different things together. There's contract, sort of meeting. Right? Like yep. If something contracts, that's the same word as a contract, yep. right? Pulling yeah, together. and you know, in the in the context of the legal concept of a contract, you have a sort of meeting of parties. That's sort of the meeting the of metaphorical the idea yeah. that you're getting at there. Yeah. Uh, again, you, the audience, asked us for this. I don't know if you're going to regret that choice. I'm not sure how interesting any of this is, but uh, yeah. I found the alligator thing kind of interesting, but that's the only one that, that I have was... up my sleeve. So this is going to be a worse <laughs> segment every week that we do. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the, the, the risk here is that I just, I find language very fascinating on, you know, I'm not a linguist. This is very much an amateur basis. But the temptation for me is just to start talking about words. That's, and, I mean, I'm the same way. And yeah. when you got two hosts <laughs> on this show that do that, I don't know that you want to encourage them. But no. nevertheless, you folks have chosen to do that. So this is the path that you've chosen. Uh-huh. And now, now you must lie in it. 
that was, that <laughs> was know, sort of a mixed metaphor. That was a very mixed <laughs> metaphor. And maybe maybe we should put up another poll after this episode comes out saying, do you really want us to keep doing this? <laughs> Are you sure uh, that you want an etymology <laughs> section of this podcast? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, I guess that has been our etymology segment, which doesn't really have a name or a theme song or anything. So, um, yeah, that, I guess that's it. <laughs> we could call it the alligators, but spelled like allegation. Yeah, Alligator Alley, maybe. Yeah, Alley, that's not bad. Yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> anyway, so if, if you're sure you want Alligator Alley, vote in that poll. Uh, we yeah. will listen to your voices there. All right. All right, moving on now to the next segment. What do we have next on our agenda, David? Well, really, this, is a, you know, this was a tip that was sent in to us, a clip from the Rachel Maddow show. And if you do want to submit stuff to us, you can do that, info at lexrex.org. Yeah. Or, you know, if you want to just drop us a line on our Facebook page or, you know, whatever. Or go outside your house and shout very, very loudly, (laughs) then, you know, any Uh, of those options works. Maybe, yeah, maybe word of mouth will somehow reach us. um, No guarantees that we'll actually get that one. But if you shout very loudly, maybe we will. Yeah, probably (laughs) not going to reach me across the Atlantic Ocean from from most of our listeners. Face east. If you want to get it to David. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've never really watched the Rachel Maddow show, so I actually found this um, presentation kind of confusing to, to know exactly what she was talking about. She didn't actually name the specific case she was talking about, which made this sort of difficult to decipher at first until I, I think I got the, the, the picture that she was talking about. Yeah, we literally about. did an episode on this case, but yeah. the reporting was so incoherent and yeah. just totally missed the mark that, you know, I, I was able to pick up right away which case it was because I know what's on the Supreme Court's calendar for the October term. But if you didn't already know that, I don't think that you ever would have recognized what case she was talking about. Yeah. And, you know, I, I thought it was what she was talking about and I, you know, confidence built, but it was unclear to me. Anyway, we'll, we'll play the clip uh, and then we'll get into it in a second. And also, uh, this is the Supreme Court term just started today in which the new conservative supermajority on the Ooh. Supreme Court has gone out of their way to put yeah. a case before themselves on something called the Independent State themselves. Legislature Doctrine, <laughs> which is a thing that I swear to you is is well and truly boring. The more you read Aww. about it, the more soporific you will feel. Yeah, uh, I, I guess I want to take a second here and point That's out... It's like one of the least boring things we've talked about on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, setting that aside and, you know, the sort of the indirect insult to us, which I'm sure she intended because we're definitely yeah, on so the Yeah, I'm sure she watches, um, listens to every episode yeah, of this podcast. Um, but I do feel like it's it's not great reporting to to say, here's this important thing that the, the Supreme Court is going to do and it, is, it should really concern you, but also it's too boring, so don't even look into it. You know, you'll never get it. Never do your own sleep. research. Just listen um, to what I tell you. Yeah, I, I, I have to say I don't particularly care for that. There, there's anyway. a series of clips from a bunch of CNN anchors. Remember when there was that WikiLeaks thing a few years ago that they released all of Hillary Clinton's emails and a bunch of other high-profile stuff? I mean, in general, yes. I, yeah, I there was a, like, there's a series, a supercut of CNN anchors all saying, it's illegal for you, the people, to read this, so just listen to what we say about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um. Hey, well, That's one maybe, tactic, maybe, I suppose. Maybe, maybe we should. <laughs> you could uh, try leave. reporting accurately, but <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe we should leave that uh, that uh, issue to one side for the time being, and we can talk about WikiLeaks maybe at some point in the future. Yeah, I just, I'm sorry, I just wanted to make that comment. Yeah, continue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just boring, particularly if you're not a lawyer. However, what the independent state legislature doctrine could do, what this case could do, now that these Supreme Court justices have asked to hear a case about it. That's, is it again? Yeah, I, just, I want to address this. She said it twice now. So first time she said that they've gotten a case in front of them or something like that. And now she says they've asked to hear a case about it. That's not how cases get to the Supreme Court. You have to file a petition for writ of certiorari to the Supreme Court. We talked about that before uh, for anything not in the yeah. court's original jurisdiction. Um, so that would be like disputes between states, a few other things, too. But uh, for, for the vast majority of matters, you file a writ of certiorari and then the court decides to either grant or deny cert based on a number of factors. It's not just that they want to hear a case, so they grab it out of a lower court and then, you know, say it's ours now. That's not how it works. She suggested that twice now, so I just wanted to clarify. Yeah, you know, and it's, yeah, it's a very loaded way of putting it. You know, the court does have well, it's some an discretion. Well, it. 
Yeah, I mean, the court does have some discretion over the things it hears. As you mentioned, they have to grant cert, and obviously if they want to hear a case, they're, you know, and they have the opportunity to, why wouldn't they? But yeah, the implying that they somehow stepped outside the normal channels to do so is... Well, she said they asked to hear it. That's not accurate. They were asked to hear it, and they said yes. Yeah. Um, they were asked by somebody else. They were not the active agent. Right. Yeah, I, I would say that's uh, rather stilted reporting. But anyway, let's 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 keep going. I'd I'd call it false. That's I think it's. I'll be stronger I'm, than that. I, I'm trying. To I know be, you're a big fan of Maddow, David. So I'm trying to be uh, <laughs> slightly more politic than you on this matter. But anyway, let's 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 keep going. Effectively, could give Republicans in state legislatures the power to do what Trump demanded that they do in 2020. It could give Republican-controlled state legislatures the power to decide what the election results will be from that state, regardless of how the people of that state voted, which is what Trump demanded of Republican state legislators after 2020. I want to stop there just to point out it would also allow Democrats to do the same thing because, you know, uh, we'll, we'll get into what she's specifically talking about in a minute. But, um, you know, also, yeah, yeah it, uh, it's, it's not a partisan thing, A, B, they already had the power she is describing. C, President Trump demanded nothing. President Trump just asked them to exercise their authority in a particular way. Yeah. He has and, no authority yeah, to make demands of legislatures. Right. I want to avoid muddying the waters too much before we get to the end of this clip. But Okay. Um, it's just, I, I, you know, nearly every word is just blatantly inaccurate. Yeah, but it, it just it bothers me that particularly that she's casting this as something that would specifically empower Republicans to do something when it's a question structurally about what state legislatures can do. The Supreme Court case that's before the court for this term could potentially legalize the illegal unconstitutional scheme that Trump was demanding of Republicans who supported him. They already have that. Yeah, so I, I want to take a minute and to sort of clarify what she is actually talking about here. She's talking about the case Moore v. Harper, which we actually talked about previously. And while the issues in that case have a relation to what she's talking about here, that's not actually what that case is about directly. No, we, we talked about that, I think, last week, right? Or I two think, weeks I ago? I think it was. It, it was definitely yeah. in the last couple of weeks. We'll yeah, put a link in the description. So for those of you who did listen to our last episode about that, you may remember, or rather, you may not remember us mentioning anything having to do with the president or with electors or really anything of the sort. Yeah. There's a good reason for that. If you've watched our other content or listened to our other podcasts, you know that the Constitution, the first three articles of the Constitution are divided into Article 1, Legislative Branch, Article 2, Executive branch. Article 3, judicial branch. Independent state legislature doctrine and the Harper case that's currently before the Supreme Court is an Article 1 issue. It has to do with apportionment of districts, the way that you draw district lines. It has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with the election of the president or the appointment of presidential electors. That's in a completely different section of the Constitution. It's not even on the same page. It literally has nothing to do with the subject she's discussing. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get into the reason why she may be acting as though it, it is the issue at stake in a minute beyond, you know, yeah. again, the fact that shock tactics are generally the most effective for journalism and, you know, making people think big things are at stake is, is always going to be a viable strategy. But anyway. Yeah, and we'll get into this more in a bit, but what she's describing, what she's claiming this case will do a, is something that it won't do, obviously, like I just said. But B, is something that is already the case and is not really up for debate. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll, we'll hold on to that for just a second. And in the meantime, I think this clip's almost done. So let's just go okay. through it. To hand him the electors from states that he, in fact, lost. So getting the electors from a state is actually how you win a state. Right. Um <laughs> And like that seems to be... If, if you get the electors from a state, you won that state. That's how that works. Yeah. there. I think we, we've talked about this over and over again, and people might be tired of us saying it, but the U.S. is not, in fact, a democratic system full stop. No. Winning the vote in a state 
doesn't guarantee anything unless the state has said that will it's how it will apportion its electors which well, winning the elect the, the vote of the electors in the state matters right uh, but the direct popular that's vote, democratic that's at, at a different level than people usually right. mean but yes right. yeah uh, it, but yeah in uh, almost every state has said it will throw all its electors to whoever wins its popular vote so but is there any requirement they do so let's turn to article 2 of the constitution <laughs> So, again, this is going to strike you as very similar to the section that we read about the authority of state legislatures to draw district lines. I remember we read that section in in our episode talking about the Harper case, and we said, doesn't really sound like an independent state legislature theory to me, sounds like an independent state legislature fact. And what the Constitution says, full stop, is that the times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof manner of holding elections for senators and representatives will be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. Yeah. In other words, what's the way that you draw districts is the manner in which you appoint representatives. It just is. Like, that's the manner of doing that. It says the legislature shall be the one who determines it. There's no ambiguity there. And in fact, we also mentioned that there is, because of the inherent risk of giving too much power to state legislatures there, there's also a built-in protection. Because it goes on to say that Congress may at any time, by law, make or alter such regulations, except as to the places of choosing senators. So that's the Article One issue. That's what has to do with voting for representatives. Again, that's what's actually at issue in the Harper case. What's not at issue is presidential elections, electors. But we're going to move to that now just so that we can sort of address what Rachel Maddow said and say that, you know, even... I, I guess even if she'd been talking about the subject she intended to talk about, she would still be incorrect. <laughs> so, but what Article 2 says, Article 2, Section 1, is that each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct. Again, in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct. A number of electors, equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in the Congress, but no senator, representative, or person holding office of trust or profit under the United States shall be appointed an elector. So relevant section. Legislature thereof may direct the manner of choosing electors. Yeah. That's what what Rachel Maddow is saying is at risk in the Harper case. As we just mentioned, A, no it's not because it has nothing to do with presidential electors, but B, the thing that she's describing as the risk is what is already the case. Yeah, there just, is no requirement that states hold a popular election in order to p- appoint their electors. Right. And if that strikes you as odd, it's because we've become accustomed to the idea that that is how we do it. And, you know, to be fair, most states that tried to change that would, you know, the people pushing for that in their legislature would probably lose their re-election races. Yeah, well, because states are, so, so states are guaranteed. Congress is required to guarantee a Republican form of government in every state. What that means is that the state government has to be representative of the people. You do have to have a popularly elected state legislature. Yeah. They're probably not going to get reelected if they take away the right of the people to choose and appoint their electors. Right. But But if for whatever reason a state, you know, the people of a state wanted to do that, or if the legislators didn't care about getting reelected, or for whatever reason, they have every right to change the manner of appointing electors. It's explicitly said in the Constitution. Yeah, it's just, in fact, what is the constitutional answer to that question. I think the sense of normalcy that people have about certain things, I think, tends to outweigh pretty simple texts yes. that, that supply the answers. Yeah, that, that's, they figure this is the way we've always done it. This is the way that it has to be done. Right. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, the answer is right there. Now, would it be feasible for a lot of states to change that? Again, politically speaking, probably not for the reasons we just talked about. You know, those those pushes would either result in turnover in the legislature and that change would probably be just overturned immediately anyway, next election cycle, or, you know, people advocating for that just wouldn't get to their legislatures to begin with. But that's not the same as the legal question. The legal question no. seems very, very, very cut and dry. Well, and, and where this becomes relevant, and this is where, you know, Rachel Maddow's commentary I think is especially egregious, is where that power becomes relevant is in disputed elections. Because if you can't 
verify, or, or you don't know it. There's some question of whether or not the, the electoral law established by a state legislature was actually followed in that state. You know, if you can't determine that, if you don't know what the actual outcome of the popular vote should have been, obviously the power to appoint electors is going to fall back to the state legislature at that point. Yeah. Or at the very least, they're the ones that get to pick whether or not the laws of the state were sufficiently abided by that we can, we can trust and you know, go ahead with the result. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's, where, that's where this kind of normalcy bias becomes incredibly destructive. Because when things don't go perfectly right, the way that we've expected them to go for hundreds of years of having our republic, we're supposed to fall back to the, the way that things are legally spelled out to work. Right. And we, we can probably do a longer episode at some point on exactly what was going on post-2020 election. I don't want to get into too much depth on that right now, although, as, as many of our listeners know, uh, I was on the Trump team working on that issue. So I have a very inside view on that issue. I was very directly involved in authoring some of the important documents that that uh, were influential to the administration on that issue. But, you know, I, that that's not the subject we're talking about right now. Regardless of your view of the outcome of the 2020 election, and regardless of your view on whether or not fraud occurred or is even possible, if things don't go right, which is at least a logical possibility, even if not a practical possibility, you've got to have some kind of fallback. Our yep. Constitution specifies who that is. Yep. Yeah, and that's, I know that, you know, the, everything with the election is very contentious. People have very firm, passionate opinions about it, but that shouldn't obscure the fact that there are actual legal questions that whether or not you think they should have cropped up then right, are very important. And, and are, well, and I would say, you know, when I say legal question, typically I mean something that is uncertain in law. It is certain. Yeah that state legislatures have the authority to appoint directors in whatever manner they want. Yeah. That is not up for question. That is very, very clear in the Constitution. That's not even a question. The question is whether or not they should have invoked that authority in 2020, which is a, right. a valid legal question, regardless of which side you fall on it. Yeah. What is not, absolutely not true is what Rachel Maddow says. You know, this is not some harebrained thing that would legalize Trump's illegal scheme to have state legislatures exercise their clear and apparent constitutional authority. Yeah, it's, you know, it would be a very unusual, it would strike people as very strange, it would probably make people instinctively assume something had gone against the rules. But in fact, no, like, yeah, you know, this, the state legislature determines how it apportions electors. That's just flat out true. And call, call me an optimist. Maybe, you know, maybe this is crazy of me. But I really think that if the question had been pushed to the state legislatures, you know, Pennsylvania, you know, like in any, any of these disputed states, really, Georgia, and any of the Republican-controlled state legislatures, I think there's a very good chance the legislature would have looked at the outcome that came from the election and said, yeah, there may have been problems, but we're still going to certify the vote as it came to us. And we're going to put our official stamp of approval on exactly what the outcome appeared to be on election day. Anyway, so, you know, the... There's probably not a lot more to say about that. You know, we've probably talked about 10 times as long about what she said than she actually was talking in that clip. But She uh, got a lot wrong in a very short span yeah. of time. I, I don't watch that show. I don't think, I don't know that, like you, I don't think I've ever watched that show. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen... it's that bad, I can't recommend it. That's, I've, I've that's seen clips bad. from it before, but this might have been the longest individual clip I've ever seen as well. And, you know, I, I found the style very confusing because she never actually named the case she was talking about. She was very sort of elliptical. Um, People would have found, found out that she was wrong about it if she'd well, that, David. M maybe. She told them, she did warn them that it was too boring to look into <laughs> as well. But, uh, anyway. It's not boring. Read the case. You'll love it. Yeah, um, I can't promise well, that. That's maybe, maybe you will, maybe you won't. But yeah. anyway, probably move on now to our other main point of conversation for today, which is, uh, thank you. I, I forgot you have a new a new sound for that. I love my soundboard. You, I believe, did an episode of Ask an Attorney about the student loan forgiveness plan a while back, but there is a bit of developing news on that front, wherein uh, someone has actually filed suit plaintiff's name is frank garrison who is who's actually a guy that i've met 
Yeah, you mentioned that, that you met him at a, a conference yeah. of some sort or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he is an attorney, right? Yes, he is. Correct. Yeah, he, he works with Pacific Legal Foundation. Okay. Anyway, he is suing the Department of Education over the student loan forgiveness plan. And, you know, we'll get into this in a minute because you need specific standing to sue. We've talked about that issue before in general. And so he's... Trees he, haven't. People don't. <laughs> yeah, trees automatically have it on broad issues. <laughs> That's not true. That's not um, actually true. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it's it's truer than you think, but not, not literally true. <laughs> we'll get into that maybe at, at some future um, Hall of Shame date. But You have um, to be somebody who actually has a case or controversy, which right. means that you need to have suffered a sort of harm that is reparable by the court. Yeah, and so in this case, he's suing on the grounds that He's in the sort of circumstance where they've announced they will automatically forgive a certain amount of student loan debt. And the way Indiana's tax system works, he would actually incur more tax liability because of that loan forgiveness. So even prior to the Biden administration's executive order for giving student loan debt, you know, just willy-nilly as a lump thing, you could, you could get student loan debt forgiven. If you worked for, I think, a 501c3 nonprofit for a period of 10 years, you would get your student loan debt forgiven. Well, as we mentioned, this guy works with Pacific Legal Foundation. They are a 501c3 nonprofit. He'd already gotten his student loans forgiven through that. And the way that Indiana law designates tax liability, I guess for for whatever reason, that was not counted as income, that student loan forgiveness. But the way the Biden administration is forgiving a loan debt, which is just wiping out the debt, that would be counted as income. So he would incur additional tax liability as a result of the debt forgiveness. Yeah. And, you know, your video from, I, I think this was a few weeks ago when you were talking about that on the Ask an Attorney series. So people who are interested can look that up or we'll include a link in the description. But you went over a lot of the nuts and bolts, so we won't do too much about that here. But, you know. We don't really know the nuts and bolts. That's part. That's a big part of the issue, and I do want to talk about that, is it's not clear what exactly well, the administration is going to do. Finish what you were saying first, though. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but sort of the, the nuts and bolts of the legal issues, you know, pertaining to whether or not the Biden administration has authority to do that. They're claiming it uh, basically under an emergency power provision of prior legislation, you know, designating the entire country as an, a disaster area because of COVID-19. Yeah. <laughs> Saying that you can forgive student loans in the event of a natural, I'm sorry, of a national catastrophe. Uh, It was the HEROES Act passed in the wake of 9-11. For obvious reasons, they wanted to forgive some student loan debt there. So they passed an act to do that. Now they're saying that the the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic is a nationwide catastrophe that justifies forgiving exactly $10,000 of student loans to every person. Yeah. And... uh... You know, so we, we won't... <laughs> Even though delve, the pandemic's over, that's, you know... <laughs> yeah, well, and we, we won't delve too deeply into that because, as I mentioned, you talk, you talked about that in depth. But there I were... I think it's an, it's an absurdity, if nothing else. Like, yeah. Even if, um, even if the law checks out, and I don't think it does, and we get into why it doesn't check out in that Ask an Attorney video, but even if it were a legal possibility, I think the idea of using an act passed... To, to help basically like you know victims of 9/11 and saying there's a nationwide catastrophe that is equivalent and justifies exactly ten thousand dollars of forgiveness I think it's an absurdity if nothing yeah else. well and I, I don't know if you've read the the act recently the heroes act but its main purpose like the findings that it lists at the beginning Congress has found are all about the military also so like yes. among, it was supposed to apply to national emergencies but the primary thing it was for was for active service military who, you know, w- would have to leave their schooling or otherwise, you know, suffer hardship in relation to their education because of being on active duty. So, yeah, yeah it, it's... And we, it's, we mentioned this in the, in the video as well, but the department that Biden put in charge of implementing this thing, the pretty much the only guidance they had issued at the time that video was made was, like, a seven-page document basically apologizing for the fact that their legal authority seems so stupid... Uh, and saying, no, no, it's not actually as stupid as it seems. Yeah. Um, so anyway, go go watch that video. We'll link to that if, if you want to hear more about that aspect of it. The thing that I think you didn't really get into in the video, and, you know, with good reason, because it was brand new at that point, and I think the administration's understanding of what it's doing is evolving constantly, let alone our understanding of what they're doing. So there was no I reason. I think it might be strategic. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's but uh, assuming I, ignorance, that's... Yeah. Another element 
of the lawsuit is basically uh, over administrative law. The federal government is supposed to allow for public comment on proposed changes to federal rules and regulations. Right. They basically so ta- did not do that. Take a step back. Federal rules and regulations. A lot of people confuse those with laws. Those are not laws. Remember, laws are written by Congress. Article 1. Yeah. The legislative branch. The executive has a bunch of executive agencies. So under the president, we have all of the executive departments. That's like Department of Agriculture, Department of Interior, Department of Education, all those different cabinet posts, uh, all their different inferior officers, so on and so forth. All of those people have been empowered by Congress to enact certain things. And in furtherance of that, in the process of enacting things, they write what are called regulations, which are basically their internal policies for the manner and means by which they implement the laws Congress has authorized them to enforce. Right. Part of what's required, I think since 1936, uh, when the Code of Federal Regulations was created. Remember, that's that's part of the FDR era. That's the huge expansion of the federal bureaucracy. Uh, We start getting tons and tons of new regulations because there's a lot more bureaucrats. So in 1936, I think that's passed. Might have the year slightly off there. Um, we, we start requiring a code of federal regulations. Those are issued um, daily. And then at the end of the year, so if you, you can go on their website. It's actually very well organized. Uh, it's one of the more pleasant things to research, despite me not liking that kind of law. Um, <laughs> but that's <laughs> issued daily. And then it's also issued at the end of the year. I think I've told the story before. I'll never forget when I was in law school and we were learning how to research this stuff. And my professor passed around a copy of the Code of Federal Regulations. It was about three inches thick. And I'm sitting a few rows back. I'm watching it being passed around the rows in front of me. And I'm thinking, that's not that thick, actually. You know, considering how many bureaucrats we have, it's not that bad for a single year. It's, you know, it's a ton. It's, it's actually, in fact, monstrous that we'd have that many new regulations. But it's fewer than I expected, <laughs> I guess I should say. Uh, but it gets to me. I look at the spine. Volume one of 247. So that's, <laughs> there's 247 times that much that comes out in a year. All that to say, this comment process, writing things in the Federal Register, getting comments from the public, which usually just kind of means lobbyists, but anyway, you know, sure. comments from people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's part of what is expected, part of what is required whenever the executive, so whenever the president, whether personally or through all of his departmental agents, tries to create new regulations. Yeah. And that's all an executive order really does, is it directs the people that work for the president to implement laws in a particular way. Executive orders, at least theoretically, do not create law. They change implementation of law. So right. if the president issues an executive order, he is asking people within different executive agencies effectively to proliferate and then implement new regulations. If that's done, it's got to be through the Code of Federal Regulations. Yeah. That was a very convoluted way of saying that. It <laughs> but I, I kind of want it because I want to explain where all the authority comes from yeah, on yeah. this stuff. So Yeah, no, that, that, that's a fair point. But yeah, that's that's exactly correct. You know, despite the fact that in many ways we're effectively more governed by regulation than law. Well, and, and there's a lot of bad precedent on that, too. You know, the court... Yeah now basically treats regulation like law, uh, which a lot of the justices currently sitting on the court think they should not do. Uh, We obviously think they should not do that because we believe the law is king. That's our name, Lex Rex. The law is king. We don't think that federal regulations are king. Right. But anyway, all that to say that I think that's an important point to hit, though, that regulations are, in theory at least, policies about the enforcement of law rather than being in fact law. Yeah, and you got to follow a particular procedure if you want to create new ones. Forgiving yeah. $10,000 of student loans is absolutely creating a new one. They didn't do that. There's nothing in the Federal Register. If I want to find out how this new policy, this Biden policy, is going to be implemented, good it's, luck. It's so hard. And that leads me to my next point. So in the actual course of this lawsuit, you know, they filed suit. And, they, you know, the, the plaintiff is looking for a preliminary injunction. So basically a rule from the court saying they can't actually go ahead with this plan until, you know, issues resolved, basically. Until we've had a whole trial and decided whether yeah. or not it's okay. Yeah. That motion was rejected by the judge, among other things, because after the suit was filed, 
suddenly the Department of Education adds something to its website that says, oh, if you're one of those people who are going to have their debt automatically canceled, you can opt out. So this wasn't right. information that was previously released. Suddenly, you know, after this yeah. guy raises the issue, now it's released. And so... Which is th- why I say that the, the bungled implementation of this thing, I think, is strategic. It's Because as soon as anybody challenges it, they just say, oh, no, 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 that wasn't the policy we were going to implement. Yeah. Here's this thing that we never told you previously about the policy. Yeah. So anyway, now suddenly the injury, at least, you know, potentially is going away. You know, the, the, the tax liability that he's going to suffer could be resolved if he opts out of this program. And again, you need specific standing to sue. So if the, the reason you were going to be able to bring suit is suddenly different, now maybe you can't actually bring suit. But to my right. mind, that only exacerbates the issue of the administrative law. Well, and, and that's, I, I think that, you know, I, I don't want to say the lawyer screwed up, but because but, but, I, I don't think that I don't think the judge's ruling was correct on this issue. You know, if they if they had not previously clarified that via the legally appropriate means, I, I think you should just take that as hearsay. You know, there's yeah. no reason to, to take that as an actual statement of the of the uh, Department of Education. It's, it's crazy ruling, but yeah, you get rulings like that sometimes. I don't know why he was willing to admit it as evidence, but he was. Yeah, but um, but I, I think that you could have controlled for that in the lawsuit if you'd asked as an additional claim. You'd asked for a writ of mandate to the Department of Education, allowing for an opt-out. Now, I think the reason the lawyer didn't do that was because, well, that kills the case, right? He wants to kill the program. He doesn't just want to carve out for himself. And you know, yeah. I, try, I applaud him for that. Very hard to do that if there's an option to get to carve out there. Yeah, well, That's kind of the issue we talked about last week. It's as-applied challenges versus facial challenges. Right. He could really only bring this as an as-applied challenge, but he wants to get rid of the thing on its face. Uh, and I think that, you know, he's trying to do that. So Yeah, but it, it, ju- it just, it speaks to what you alluded to. It's so difficult to know exactly what they're trying to do because they, they haven't the really, goal. yeah, they haven't really given a definitive answer to what this program is. They've basically just sort of put out a bunch of press releases, like trumpeting, yeah. hey, we're going to forgive your debt. And then you the, look for the actual sort of nuts and bolts, what is going on. And it's no, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't. Well, and, and I think, sorry, I think the reason that's I, the reason I call that strategic is because with a program like this, once you've actually rolled it out, so once people have automatically gotten their student loans forgiven, yeah. it doesn't matter if it was legal or not. There's no way a court's going to reverse that. Right. And you're adding $10,000 a debt back to people's accounts. Yeah. Which is why it's a very dishonest, duplicitous way of going about it. Yeah, and I, I think you I think you mentioned this in the video as well, but I think it bears repeating. I think they're banking on the political blowback being really severe if anyone did try to actually undo it after it's taken place. You know, people will not like it if someone stops it before it happens. I think that would be unpopular with a certain number of people who are very eager to have this program go into effect, but that's probably palatable. But actually yeah. going back and trying to undo it, I think would be disastrous f- from a political point of view. And, and because the administrative state has ballooned so far outside of its constitutional bounds, there's not really a good option to deal with the strategy that the Biden administration has taken on this. Uh, it's, there, there's no real way to combat the fact that they've refused to publish information. You know, the best option that I can think of is we've got to file a lot of lawsuits on this. And then, you know, presumably pretty much all the Department of Education can do at that point is say, no, we're not going to do it that way. No, we're not going to do it that way. No, we're not going to do it that way. And, you know, just death by a thousand cuts, get rid of this thing through through all those lawsuits. Um, but otherwise, you'd have to be a member of Congress suing. Yeah. Anyway, the only person who could actually facially challenge this is a member of Congress. Yeah. One other element of this that we've talked about before off air that I think is interesting is you know, because one of the things that could potentially give you standing is if you can say you relied on a certain understanding of the law, the way it was going to work, that this is now going to change and it's going to substantially harm you because of that. And I think there are very broad potential implications for this program. Yeah. That, you know, this guy's case was, was one. He planned his career, to a certain extent at least, around benefits he was going to get from choosing a certain job and having tax breaks relating to his loan. Well, we all did, right? Yeah. I mean, it's everybody plans their life around either incurring certain debts or not incurring certain debts. 
Yeah. And those decisions are based on our ability to predict what's going to be true in the future. I think when you really upset people's ability to plan for the future financially in the yeah. way this program does, I think that's a socially disastrous thing to do. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've talked about this hypothetical before where it's like, you know, what if someone chose to go to a school that they thought wasn't as, you know, high a standard academically or didn't have as good a reputation and thus couldn't necessarily further their career as much, but they Look, figured... I, I would not have gone to law school if I hadn't gotten a scholarship. You know, I'm, I'm very blessed that I did well on the LSAT, managed to get my, my law school paid for. But if I had known that if I did incur debt, I could get $10,000 of it forgiven, yeah, very that, likely, it's, you know, it's entirely possible I would have made a different choice. Yeah, and I think could, a lot of people are in that boat, you know, people who didn't go to law school and otherwise might have. That's yeah. probably an even greater harm. And I think, you know, the real harm of, of doing something like this isn't just that it upsets financial expectations, valid financial expectations, which, which were actually codified in law. It's that it does so in a way that prefers people who have given themselves an increased earning capacity. Yeah. It disadvantages people who do not have that increased earning capacity in favor of the ones who do. Because presumably getting a degree, at least most degrees, increases your earning capacity, right? I mean, that's at least the theory of how right. it's supposed to work. Yeah. And yeah. And, so you're you going to make everybody that didn't get that degree pay for it? And that, that's presumably what the whole program is premised on. Because if we, you know, if we were assuming that higher education degrees are basically non-economic, there's no justification for doing this program to begin with because it's about relief right. from, from economic strain. So, yeah. That's what I think is the really outrageous part of it. It's like, you know, it really gets my goat that California subsidizes people who purchase Teslas, the cars, uh, because Teslas are a luxury vehicle. Yeah. You know, it's, I have nothing against luxury vehicles. If you want to buy one, that's great. I don't think it's right to take from poor people to give to rich people. Yeah. And that's exactly what this student loan forgiveness program does. Yeah. Anyway, we're probably past that's, time. That is a political opinion, but I think it's, you know, whatever. <laughs> don't take from poor people to give to rich people. That's, yeah. Uh, don't be an inverse Robin Hood. That's, that's very bad. Anyway. A, a, a Hubenrod. I, I think just the sheriff of Nottingham, right? Yeah, I guess that is what he was doing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or Prince John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway. Very last thing I want to say about this. I'm not saying that the vast amounts of student loan debt that we have in this country are not a problem. They absolutely are a problem. Just handing people $10,000 of a write-off toward their debt is not the solution to that problem. The reason that student loan debt is the huge issue that it is is because it's exempt from bankruptcy discharge. Yeah, you file no, for bankruptcy. You get all of your gambling debts forgiven. You get all of your credit card debt forgiven. You get all the rest of your debt forgiven. You get a full discharge in, in some circumstances. I don't want to oversimplify that, but most debts are going to be dischargeable. Very few exceptions. Uh, if you have maliciously caused bodily injury to somebody and they sued you, that debt doesn't go away. Those are the kind of debts that don't go away. Yeah. Student loan debt is lumped in with that kind of thing. It is yeah. almost impossible to get student loan debt discharged in bankruptcy. If they really wanted debt relief on this, add in a bankruptcy discharge to student loan debt. That's a very easy change. Bankruptcy is a process that's already known in this country. There are clear consequences when you file for bankruptcy. It's not something where you can just do it and you're off scot-free and there's, there's zero consequence to your action. There's a reason most people don't want to file for bankruptcy every single day. So yeah. it's disincentivized, but it does allow relief for yeah. those who need it. Yeah, if you are, you know, yeah, if you reach a tipping point where it's like, you know what, I'll deal with the consequences of bankruptcy rather than continue to deal with this debt. Yeah, exactly. That's a very good point. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's very easy to fix. This I'll make a change to the bankruptcy code. Yeah. Anyway, we should probably move on to our final segment because we are pressed on time. I don't know if you if you've got that theme music queued up, but it is time for Captain Kangaroo Court. All right, folks, young and old and shy and bold and everybody in between, anybody who's interested in American law or really law in general, law throughout the ages, law throughout history, Captain Kangaroo Court. So gather around, you know, come over and we'll tell you some stories about the absurdities in law. That's uh, sort of what we do here on Captain Kangaroo Court. Yeah, I've been waiting a long time to try to find an adequate reason to introduce the concept of the Florida man into this show. 
Yes, you tried to do that on our very first episode. Yeah, some of yeah. you. And, it's, and I said, are you sure about the law on that? That isn't just something that you heard, like, on Reddit. Yeah, said, well. It might it might be something I heard on Reddit. I'll do a little bit more. I'm, I'm not on Reddit. Don't <laughs> slander me. Um, no, no offense to any Redditors out there, I guess. Um, but anyway, the concept of the Florida man, probably a lot of you have heard of this, but why, you know. A lot of our, half of the things we used to do in, um, in our hot take segment were from Reddit, David. You clearly go on Reddit. <laughs> No, I found one thread on Reddit. I am not a Reddit user. That's my point. Anyway. <laughs> you don't uh, have an account, I see. Yes, yes. And I, I am not a habitual user. You're a Reddit, Reddit lurker. Not really even that. Anyway, we're spending too much time on Reddit. Stop talking about Reddit. <laughs> uh, anyway, probably a lot of you are familiar with this idea. You know, seemingly a huge number of headlines that involve bizarre, weird behavior always start with Florida man does X, Y, or Z. And one of the explanations for why this is the case that's bandied about is that, oh, Florida has unusually lax rules about obtaining information from government agencies like the police so you can get arrest records very easily. We've never actually been able to verify that. It doesn't seem like their law is substantially different than Seems plenty of other similar. places. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, setting that aside, I waited, therefore, until I just had a few fun things about Florida men doing doing stuff. So we'll get into that in a second. It's the same guy each time, right? Florida man's a person. <laughs> well, well, that brings me to my next thing. This is a clip from a television show called Atlanta that is about the Florida man. It's called Atlanta, but it's about Florida. Well, no, they're talking about the Florida man in this clip. How's your parents? Good. Good, they're driving to Florida right now to visit my uncle who's dying. Oh, Florida, Just make sure you tell them to watch out for Florida, man. What's Florida, man? Florida, man, is responsible for a large percentage of abnormal incidents that occur in Florida. No one knows his true identity, date of birth, what he looks like. That's why headlines always say Florida, man. Florida man shoots unarmed black teenager. Florida man bursts into ex's delivery room and fights new boyfriend as she's given birth. Florida man steals a car and goes to checkers. Florida man beats a flamingo to death. Florida man found eating another man's face. No. Yes. No. Yes, it's true. So, contrary to popular belief, though, there is not one singular Florida man. There are... Probably many. That's just sort of a convention of headline writing. But anyway, Florida Man, I've been waiting to talk about this for a long time. So we're going to go through so what are some few... What are some of the best things Florida Man has done? Well, or we're going to go... worst or most we're... notable thing. <laughs> yeah, we're going to go through a few. So the headline here, not going to lie to you, I'm drunk. Florida Man confesses during traffic stop, deputies say. So, oh, that was polite uh, of him. That circumvents the whole trial yeah. and... Yeah, in, bearing in mind that... Uh, Please don't do that, folks. Please. We're not, we're like, not giving uh, legal advice. We're not giving legal advice. But I will say, I have heard many defense attorneys say, you shouldn't talk to police without your attorney present. This is basically one of the reasons why you shouldn't. <laughs> you might end up I'm going to say straight up, like, it's... <laughs> This isn't technically not legal advice, but please don't talk to the police without an attorney present. Really. I mean, the vast majority of cases that, that ended conviction only went to trial because they had some form of confession. Uh, and I know that you think that you're not going to make a confession when the police question you, but you will. Trust yeah. me. Even yeah. if you didn't do it, you will make a confession and you will go to jail. Well, I, I remember one time when I was in high school, I was in the car with my mom. She got pulled over and... As, you know, we were waiting for the, the trooper to come over, she said, oh, was I going too fast? I was like, I don't know, maybe. And then I remembered, oh, I think, you know, you don't have your front license plate on because, you know, I forget why something had gone on. And that was a, a requirement in Massachusetts. Um, you need to have both front and rear. So the officer comes over. He says, do you know why I pulled you over? And she said, oh, I'm not sure. And he says, oh, you're going to... Which is a little, trick. Go, that's, that's, that's a trick to, to uh, <laughs> trick you into testifying, by yeah. the way. Because uh, you'll always... You'll incriminate yourself. You'll know, wow, I was speeding, officer. And now he has, a, he has a confession on the record. You can use that in front of a judge. Yeah. So anyway, she said, oh, I'm not sure. And he said, well, you're going a little too fast. And he goes, oh, I thought it might be because I didn't have my front plate. No. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then, you know, and he was he was nice about it. And at the end, you know, he said, I'm going to give you a warning. And by the way, you probably shouldn't incriminate yourself. 
anymore. Wow. <laughs> Boy, the cops are nicer over there in Massachusetts uh, than they are here. I've noticed that uh, a lot of traffic cops seem to be very nice to my mom for some reason. She's gotten off <laughs> of a lot of speeding tickets that it's, she might have been. I, I think, you know, um, they pull somebody over, and then you roll down the window, and you're not what they expect. I think there's, you know, sort of a reaction there. Yeah. Anyway, so, so that's one. Yeah. Don't incri- please don't incriminate yourself. Yeah. I, I think it, it's. Um, I, I had a professor in law school. We may actually get him um, to do an interview on this podcast at some point. But he he basically he worked as somebody who would appeal death row convictions, and he had he had clients who were innocent, but who were convicted on the basis of having made confessions. So one of them, particularly egregious one, actually the guy wrote a book when he got wow. off on it later. Uh, but he, the, the cops questioned him for so long, you know, hours straight. And eventually they asked him, are you religious? And the guy said, yeah, I'm a Christian. As a Christian, you believe that we're sinful, right? Yeah, I, be- you know, I believe in sin. I believe in all of that. Uh, do you feel guilty for what you've done? Yeah. Yes. And they used that as a confession to murder. Yeah. Yeah. The guy was on death row. Yeah. So, again, not legal advice, but... You should really have your attorney um, with Unless you. Unless you want to be on death row for murder, yeah, um, you should call an attorney. Now, I'm not saying whether or not that's something you should want. Right. But I think <laughs> most of us have the same preference on that. Yeah. Uh, we'll say no more. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Actually, the same thing happens in the movie My Cousin Vinny, which now sounds like they're paying us. I think this is the second <laughs> week in a row we've mentioned that movie. But, you know, the guy steals a can of beans from the sack of suds. Uh, and the, the cops are questioning him about it. He says, I want to make a full confession, officer. I'm so sorry for what I did. And they think he's confessing to murder because the guy at the, the place was killed, like, right after he left. Um, that kind of thing happens in real life. It's not just movies. Okay. So here's another. And, you know, we, we've had a bit of a theme the last couple of weeks of misappropriated funds. But uh, here's another one. Florida man who bought mansion with $7.2 million COVID-19 relief fund pleads guilty. Wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> so this Gosh. guy. That, that, um, that was such a bungled policy. Yeah. Investigators said this guy, and, you know, I'll leave his name out of it because I don't think it adds anything to this, but they, they said his PPP loan Florida application. Man. Yeah, Florida man's PPP loan application falsely claimed that his business had 441 employees and monthly payroll expenses in 2019 of more than $2.8 million. Florida man's business actually had no employees other than himself. Um, I wonder, gosh. Yeah. That was a bold move from Florida Man. I don't know how he expected not to get caught on that. Uh, uh, DOGA said that Florida Man like also... That's s- not going to match your tax records. You're going to get no. caught on it, Whether it's an audit or, or, or this, you know, yeah. one All, way or the other. Florida Man also submitted fake W-2s for the company's employees. Oh, many, well, there you go. Many of the listed <laughs> names and social security numbers belong to people, apparently real people, who had not authorized Florida Man to use their identities. Yeah. On top of that, he also bought a Lincoln Navigator, a Maserati... <laughs> Mercedes Benz and a 12,579 square foot home. You can get a 12,000 square foot home for only 7.2 million in Florida? Apparently. Wow. And he attempted to flee to Switzerland and was apprehended as he attempted to enter Croatia from Slovenia. Actually, the, the article says Solvenia, but I believe that's a typo for Slovenia. So this guy kind of expected to get caught for this and he just had an escape plan. Yeah, but uh, I think if you're going to flee with uh, that much sort of value that you've stolen, you probably shouldn't invest most of it in property you can't take with you. That's, I guess, yeah. that's, that's sort of the opposite of legal or advice. cars that you can't <laughs> take with you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I guess that's kind of the opposite of legal advice. That's sort of criminal advice. But um, <laughs> don't follow that either, though. Um, you, can't, you can't advise people for the commission of crimes. That's yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, and last one. If you hire a lawyer, they can't aid you in the commission of a crime. Like this No. It's very bad. They'll get disbarred for that, and they should get disbarred for that. Yeah. All right. Last one. This one isn't technically a Florida man headline, but it is a headline about Florida law. Pasco County deputies assist in serving eviction at wrong home. So... Mm-hmm. What gets really interesting here... Yeah, that's more common than you would think. Yeah. What gets really interesting here is the, the woman in question was home when they were doing this, and, and she observed them on her home surveillance system. She says, I checked it, and it was two officers and some guy, and the guy was drilling my door. I wow. just I just started speaking to them through the ring to find out what they were doing. They informed me that they were finalizing the eviction that was posted last week, which was new to me because I have a mortgage. So she, you know owns her home and does not have 
uh, rent. Um, wow. One deputy asked for her full name as the other checked the home's address. In seconds, it became clear to the people at the door that they were at the wrong home. <laughs> we, we actually, we do apologize, one deputy said in the video. We have the wrong house. It was the next door neighbor. Um, she said she understood. You would double check that. Yeah, she understood the deputies made Boy, a mistake. Gosh, how embarrassing for the neighbor, right? Yeah, but it was an unusual experience for her. I was very angry. My dogs are inside, and they were barking up a store. I bet storm. Excuse me. Yes, it was a mistake, and I get that people can make mistakes, but that's a big mistake to make. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, she said if I didn't have my ring, which I guess this is almost a promo for uh, for the ring. <laughs> Doorbell, I don't. I, I don't advise but, uh, people buy the ring. Yeah. I, I, from what um, I understand, the ring stores all of your photos on like an online cloud thing that's yeah. run by Ring. Yeah. Uh, so all of the video footage, like you don't actually have it on your own server; they have it. Right. So anyway. So you're bound by whatever their terms of privacy are, which are subject to change without notice. Yeah. So tech advice: we've we've gotten into this before. Make sure you understand the privacy policies for any services you're using. And, and legal point, actually. So the courts have ruled that there is no expectation of privacy if your 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 papers or effects are being held by a third party. No. They've included cloud providers in that. So there's no expectation of privacy in anything that's held online on the cloud. Uh, they can just subpoena, you know, whoever happens to have it, Ring or whoever it is, and they can get all of it, oftentimes without even notifying you because yeah. there's no expectation of privacy in that. So I, I really don't recommend storing things on the cloud. Anyway, so that that was the Florida Man special, <laughs> and that's all I yeah, got. Yeah, so, so. All right, folks. Hopefully, you enjoyed another segue into the wild, wacky, weird world of law throughout the ages, world, and even in Florida, uh-huh. Captain Kangaroo Court. So join us again next week, and we'll do another episode of Captain Kangaroo Court. Maybe next week we'll do a special segment, an extra long one on trees and whether yeah. or not they have legal standing. That's yeah. what I want to talk about. Eventually, David will let me one of these days. Yeah, maybe next week. We'll see. That'll do it for us this week. As always, thank you for listening, and we hope you'll listen again. All right. Bye, folks. Good night.